talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Will Weber is on the board. Will Erskine is in the cloud. In the newsroom, Dinah Weeks. The Ontario election campaign is officially underway. Thank goodness we have the playoffs. Here's Scott Thompson. Good afternoon. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Weber on the board and uh, spinning the Dolly Parton. And and we all know why. Dolly's going to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it's fascinating because... Uh, initially, when she said, uh, or when she was offered the honor, she said she had been nominated. She goes, well, no, 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 I'm not. That's not me. That's not me at all. And, I mean, uh, other people coming in this year, a uh, pretty eclectic 80s group. Uh, Eminem, Duran Duran, uh, Pat Benatar also uh, getting the nod. So a real uh, eclectic uh, group of people that are getting inducted into the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. And you know what? I think this is the first time in many years that people have even been taken note. I mean, you know, oh, yeah, that's nice. Who? Oh, yeah. Who? Yeah, 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 yeah. What about no? What about no? Who? Yeah. But this one has seemed to uh, have uh, grabbed some attention. So we'll talk about this coming up a little later on. But initially, uh, she had been asked or offered the nomination for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And she turned it down saying, you know, I've, I've been wanting to do a rock album for like 50 years now. And unfortunately, just haven't gotten around to it. Maybe she'll put one out now. And thought because she doesn't really participate in the genre, that, you know, she's not really um, qualified, not really, uh, y- you know, deserving of such an award. And, of course, many have pointed out rock and roll is the blending of country and gospel and rhythm and blues all coming together and, and creating what was the early days of rock and roll and obviously has spanned out. Uh, into many categories now as pop music, whether it's rap or what have you. So fascinating that uh, that uh, she now has decided, and that's just because she's looked back into the archives and real, realized that other uh, country pioneers were also in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the most popular being Johnny Cash, and nobody's going to argue with that. So uh, at the end of the day, she said, uh, yeah, what the heck, we'll give it a go. Here's ABC's Jason Nathanson on all of this. Dolly Parton tumbled out of bed this morning as a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee. She was voted in after saying she didn't want to be in. She didn't think she deserved a spot because she's not a rocker. But last week, she reversed course, saying she'd accept if it happens. It was an interesting evolution. Greg Harris is president and CEO of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think early on, she just wasn't aware that Jimmy Rogers and Bill Monroe and Hank Williams and Bob Wills are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and that we look at artists from multiple genres that have all contributed to music. The induction ceremony takes place in November. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. Uh, yeah, fascinating. So, uh, you know, I think it's probably the most exciting thing. I mean, not that I'm a huge Dolly Parton fan by any means, but, who, you know, everybody likes Dolly Parton. How can you not? Uh, she's timeless, it seems. Uh, and certainly has done a lot for the country music industry and bridging that gap between pop music uh, and country music. So what the heck? And I mean, you know, uh, another list, another one on the list this year, Eminem. I don't know. I I I I, uh, I have my own opinion of Eminem. <laughs> so, but in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, well, if he is, why wouldn't Dolly be? Uh, they're certainly as far from the original uh, thought of what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was. So why not? That's just it branching out. Uh, also, uh, Lionel Richie, uh, Carly Simon, which another one again, great singer songwriter from the seventies. Uh, and certainly huge in pop music with the 70s. But again, there's the crossover. Uh, Eurythmics, uh, Duran Duran, and Pat Benatar uh, into the uh, into the Hall of Fame. So, uh, you know, a pretty cool list of, uh, of uh, inductees. Now, maybe that's all time sensitive. Depending upon how old you are, uh, it's, it, that depends whether it's a good year or not. But anyway, fascinating that uh, after declining, 
as a uh, uh, you know any uh, any country lady would, I guess. I mean, very very polite about the whole thing, but she she thought that she was taking the place of somebody else if she would get in, and I guess theoretically she is, and did not want to remove someone else's chance by taking it from a country perspective so uh fascinating but again i mean you know uh rap country uh rock uh pop dance what have you it's all making its way into uh the rock and roll hall of fame which is of course the building blocks of pop music uh, as we know it in the modern era so uh wow the uh the induction ceremony even becomes wider which uh is great i mean that's good to see and again probably you know this is for the first time in a long time that people have even been talking about uh the rock and roll hall of fame and who this year's uh, inductees are all right lots to talk about on the show today gas prices are uh up uh, home sales are down, you know, and, and by as much as 20% in certain areas. But if you're talking to anybody who's buying a home, that's nothing. That's a drop in the bucket. And, um, and as well, uh, isn't going to do much to help people who are trying to get into, uh, the market. Also, the abortion protests continue in the United States. We'll talk about that coming up a little later on. And it's, uh, the overview from Canada and how we feel about this. The uh, European Union planning to ban Russian oil. Uh, for and are looking for other oil energy replacements uh, from other parts of the world. I'm not sure this much more Canada can do. Uh, that being said, uh, the EU wants to be off of any dependency on Russia. So uh, obviously, it's going to be fascinating to see if uh, if uh, in fact uh, that is the case and and how long it is going to to take to do that. Also, polls out today, conservatives. Uh, ahead in the provincial election at this point, uh, the fight seems to be for second place between the Liberals and the NDP, although this is very early on, and, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a long way to go in politics. Other news, Quebec lifts the mandatory masking uh, bylaws or, uh, or rules as of uh, May 14th, and uh, as I mentioned, Dolly in the hall. We'll talk about that all coming up. We certainly know that interest rates have been going up. We certainly know how difficult it is to buy a home, especially if you're a first-time home buyer, and how this dream has slowed slowly uh just out of grasp and interest rates started to go up as uh, hopefully trying to cool all of this down it seems like it has had some impact the real estate association of hamilton burlington uh reporting that houses have in fact leveled off in this area let's bring in lou piriano president of the real estate association of hamilton burlington and with us now lou thanks for the time i hope you're well hey things are great so where are we, Lou, uh, comparing to, uh, you know, last month or even the year ago? Where do the uh, housing sales stand in Hamilton as a result? Well, as you indicated, uh, things have leveled off just a little bit. We're still way short of inventory at about 1.2 months of inventory, where we would like to see that around three months of inventory for a balanced buyer and seller market. Uh, you said still short of inventory. So in other words, uh, we still need more homes built, more more options here uh, for families. Uh, obviously, the raising of the interest rates have cooled things off, but has that necessarily made it any easier for people to buy? Well, no. As a matter of fact, the raise in interest rates uh, you know, are, are the problem at the moment. Uh, it's harder to qualify than it was a couple of months ago. A couple of months ago, you had a 2.5% uh, five-year fixed mortgage. And now you're up over 4%. Uh, as of tomorrow, I know there will be some increases at uh, some of the major banks. So it's, uh, yeah, it's become more difficult. It's uh, driving people to find other ways of doing things. Um, uh, just to give you an example, though, if you had a, a $600,000 mortgage at 2.5%, prices would have to come down to 515000 at uh at 4% in order to make the same monthly payment. And that's not going to happen, in our opinion. Hmm. Uh, we see prices leveling off, but uh, but not crashing. So even this dip really doesn't help many. Who does something like this benefit? Uh, not sure. <laughs> it's the because government's really, idea. They're all, because they're you know, as you as you're as you're, so, as you're alluding to, sorry, and then I'll let you go, Lou. Uh, the, you're alluding to obviously we still don't have uh, much supply, and yes, they have come down, but they're still unaffordable. So go ahead, Lou. Well, in, in terms of affordability, uh, the Realtors Association has been ver working very hard for uh, for customers and consumers in lobbying uh, MPs, as has our Canadian Real Estate Association. 
one of the things that uh, the government took us up on was the uh, $40,000 save for a house, tax-free going in and tax-free coming out. A uh, number of other uh, uh, initiatives that we've undertaken as well. And we are uh, constantly on, uh, you know, making sure that builders can uh, build their properties with a minimum of inconvenience in terms of waiting for building permits. There's a whole confluence of things that have to happen to make things affordable. Um, I, I don't know that interest rates will stay where they are forever. Uh, I do think there will probably be increases uh, going into the latter part of the year and possibly next year. But if inflation gets under control, um, I, I can see this leveling off as well and perhaps uh, returning to a little bit more affordable rates. Some of the How things much? that we're... Sorry, no, uh, go ahead, Luke, go ahead. that we're you know, lobbying for is, is, is to make uh, mortgages more affordable, uh, perhaps even extending amortization. So instead of a 25-year payback for a CMHC mortgage, uh, how about 40 years? That's what they used to have. doesn't add anything to debt, and it makes it more affordable. Um, what advice do you have for, uh, you know, the market is where it is right now. We've seen what it has done in the past. Obviously, it's leveled out a little bit. What advice do you have for both the buyer and the seller at this time? You know, I, I think for a buyer, I think I would be patient and uh, and see how things uh, unfold in the next month or so. Uh, if you've got a pre-approved mortgage, then you're golden. Uh, you want to keep that rate. Um, and that's why we saw a spike in sales, I believe, uh, in uh, up till February. Right. Lots of people had pre-approved mortgages at 2.5%. They're all gone now. They've all been used or expired. So mm-hmm. some people have 3%. Uh, some people have a little bit more. So for those guys, I, I think uh, a little more will come on the market. Be patient. Um, I, I don't think you're into the multiple offers quite as often as you used to be. And so there are many opportunities out there. As a matter of fact, uh, I did some research for you just before coming on air. If you go a little further afield, let's say Brant and Niagara and Hamilton and Haldeman and so on, there were just under 800 listings under $700,000 on the market. So uh, some of those were apartments, some of those were single family, uh, even even mobile homes. But, you know, there, there are opportunities there and you need to uh, contact one of our members uh, tell them what you need and see if uh, you can make it fit. And I guess that's uh, good advice, Lou, in the sense that basically what you're saying is open up your options. Uh, look beyond what you what you really thought you wanted. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's a necessity that I think we're going to have to live with for a while. Um, you know, I can remember back in the day, uh, people used to say that folks buying a house in the, in the 1950s needed to half down. Uh, so, you know, it, home ownership is, is not a, uh, an easy thing sometimes, but it's worthwhile. Uh, we saw a slight dip in the prices April uh, this month over last month. Uh, I think it was something like 4% on the average. But you know what? It's still up 23% over last year. So real estate's still your best investment. And uh, if you had a million dollar uh, property last year, you're up $230,000. Wow. Uh, Lou Periano with us, president of the Real Estate Association of Hamilton, Burlington. Uh, at least prices are level, uh, leveling out at this time. And as Lou said, uh, look beyond your boundaries and, and you'll be surprised what you may find. Lou, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Always a pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Interesting year for the uh, inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, you know, sometimes, and I guess it depends what jo- what generation you're in or what have you, wh- where you fall in this. But sometimes it's, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, that's nice. That's not so nice. Oh, yeah, well, what about them? Why didn't they? Oh, yeah. Why? But this uh, year has seemed to gain a bit more attention, we'll say, than past years. Uh, Dolly Parton originally asked uh, uh, to be nominated, not by her, but, of course, the Hall, and she turned it down. She said, no, I don't want to take the spot of someone else and blah, blah, blah. And now here we have it. She has, in fact, accepted. Let's bring in alan cross host of the ongoing history of new music he's with us he's with us now alan thank you for the time i hope you're well um yeah i got over my bout of covid that i had last week and i'm seeing <laughs> well good for you and uh you know hey do you know anyone that hasn't had it yet alan uh, I'm glad uh to- yeah my wife i have no idea how she's escaped it <laughs> wow yeah you know I, i've had the same thing in our family with kids and what have you and in a week or two later you know things uh things change but i'm glad you're uh you're back on the mend and you're feeling better surprised about this why do you think the turnaround here uh what for dolly yeah 
Yeah, well, I, I think, well, first of all, she didn't have much of a choice simply because she said that she would turn down any nomination after all the ballots started had gone out and people started voting. So hmm. whether or not she wanted to get in was, uh, was not up to her. Um, although, you know, love Dolly, um, but I... I, I and I know that people are going to make the argument that she belongs in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but let me ask you this. Um, Duran Duran, another act that's that's was voted in today, uh, would they ever be in the Country Music Hall of Fame? Uh, no. Uh, the, the, one of the big problems I have with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and, and I this it, it's, it's, it's their institution, and they can do whatever the hell they want, but uh, I... They're, they're really making a concerted effort to expand the definition of, of rock and roll. Mm. And uh, that, in the eyes of some people, are is, is causing it to lose uh, credibility. For example, uh, Lionel Richie, uh, nothing really says rock and roll to me more than Lionel Richie. You know, hello? What about Brickhouse? But, well, Alan, what about Brickhouse? It's kind of not funk. Come on, not sort of, maybe not. No. Well, then, then, then induct the Commodores. Don't induct yeah. Lionel Richie. Yeah, good point. So, uh, uh, but, but I guess if, if you can if, if you can find an excuse to induct uh, Whitney Houston, which they did a couple of years ago, you can find an excuse to induct anybody. Should this be changed to the Pop Music Hall of Fame? I the popular Music Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, you know. Listen, we're starting to get into the weeds here because there is going to be this argument saying that, look, at rock and roll is the result of a whole bunch of different types of music coming together. R&B, country, western, hillbilly, and, and so on. So all those acts that went into the making of, of you know, rock and roll in its primal stages should be included and considered for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But uh, tell me again, you know, where, where Lionel Richie fits into this, uh, where Jews, where um, uh, Whitney Houston fits into this, and where Dolly Parton fits into this. I mean, there's no question that she's a fantastic performer, but, you know, they, America invented rock and roll, and they believe they have the right to uh, determine its definition. So there you go. So, um, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, Alan. So is it all, does it have to be all guitar, like driving guitars and drums, everything associated with the rock genre? And is that a wide enough appeal for them to, well, to continue? And that's the argument a lot of people will make. It's, it's not just for guys with guitars and drums. It's, it's a much broader thing than that, which, you know, has been, uh, you know, look at look at this year. Uh, I mean, we have Eurythmics with Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart. I mean, yeah. no guitars there, really, too many. I mean, they were a, a synthesizer band more than anything else. Um, Duran Duran, you know, had the, the standard sort of lineup, but they also had a lot of synths and keyboards. So, yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've certainly branched out already. But Pat, uh, Benatar, Pat Benatar, on the other hand, no problem there. Well, listen, Pat Benatar really, you know... If we go back to the early 1980s, there were not there were not a lot of hard rocking women out there. We had yeah. Hearts, we had the Runaways, we had Joan Jett after she left the Runaways, and you know that's really about it. Uh, Pat Benatar comes along with with her first album, well, actually her first three albums, and does you know with with her with her husband partner Neil Giraldo. Um, redefine what it meant for a woman to be uh, hard rocking in, in, in popular music. So, yeah, she should be there for, for sure. Not necessarily for her, you know, for the guitars and drums in her songs, but also for um, uh, doing what she did for, for women in rock. Uh, should, uh, who, who do you think should be in, who is not in, uh, and who has not been inducted. So, in other words, instead of focusing more on the Dollies and the Arrhythmics and, and, and whatevers, even the M&Ms, I mean, I'll argue that one with you, um, who, who, who should they be looking at who hasn't been in, in, inducted yet? Well, there's two big snubs. First of all, the MC5, a fierce Detroit band from mm -hmm. the late 1960s that really set the table for a lot of the punk rock that was to come. No MC5, uh, maybe... No Ramones. Same thing with uh, the New York Dolls. Um, early 19, mm. 1970, 71, 72. If there's no New York Dolls, there is definitely no Ramones. There's definitely no um, uh, Sex Pistols. And there's definitely uh, a, a lot of bands like like the Smiths, for example, that would have never come along had it not been for them. 
Uh, no Sex Pistols. I think I said that. But anyway, so those two, they were snubs this year again. And I think that that's, uh, you know, how you can vote against the MC5 and the New York Dolls is, and, and still call yourself the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, is, is beyond me. Um, I'm also kind of sad to see that uh, Rage Against the Machine was snubbed again. But uh, again, you know, this is an institution with 900 and some odd members, all of whom are, um, you know, lobbied like you wouldn't believe because you do get a bump if you're an artist or a label, if you're uh, or a manager or, or whatever, um, mm-hmm. or copyright holder, and your act gets into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, uh, yeah, there, there you are. Um, is this more about, do you think, Alan, the publicity, uh, the hall trying to just do its own business and, and generate publicity for itself and broaden its scope so more people come? Absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah. when they put it in Cleveland, in the middle of the country, it was uh, kind of a, a tough sell in the sense that Cleveland is not exactly a tourist destination. Um, it's, it's a great building and it, it's a museum. It's fantastic. And I, I, I think what we need to do is, is separate the Rock Hall, the Hall of Fame, from the museum. Um, because as a, as a music historian, I love the museum. But the, the, uh, the Rock Hall itself has been, uh, I'll, I'll just say it, watered down. And um, Let me... Let me ask you this, Alan. I mean, much like uh, the Grammys or or any of that, and not to compare any of this to an award show, that's probably a wrong uh, comparison here, but should there be wings within the Hall of Fame? So such and such gets admitted to the R&B wing or the the pop wing or the country wing or whatever should is maybe, and then that all encompassed under the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's an interesting suggestion. Um, I, you know, much like, uh, a standard sort of museum has wings. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. I kind of like that. So, uh, okay, let's do it. I agree. <laughs> you know, I guess the drag would be for some people that then you're incorporating the Country Music Hall of Fame, and maybe you could, and because it's a standalone situation as well. So, I mean, is it not, uh, you know, I mean, could you put them under one roof? Could you put them side by side? Could you have exhibits that go out of the country wing from there? I mean, you know, who knows? We're, we're all putting it under one label, so maybe it's one label with various subtitles. Uh, it's again, here's the problem is that if you do this, you, you end up segregating and stratifying popular music into all these different streams. Yeah. And that's exactly what the rock hole does not want to do. They want to be, you know, as inclusive as possible to show that there are many facets to this, this thing that we call rock. And, um, by separating things out, you probably would just, they, they believe that they would probably just cause more controversy and, and hard feelings. You know, it's, it's that these would be subcategories, and every time you put the word sub or the prefix sub before anything, people yeah. get upset. And then within that, you can put, like, the Elvis wing, the Beatles wing. Gee, let's work on this, Alan. Uh, Alan Cross with us, host of the Ongoing History of New Music. Dolly Parton, part of the latest inductees into this year's edition of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. As always, Alan, thanks for the time. Be well. You're welcome. Thank you. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. All right. Uh, we used to keep track of... Um I don't got time to look for it. We used to keep track of, of how long I did, uh, how many days we were into or weeks of the global pandemic. Uh, for our own mental health, we stopped doing that. And, and, but, but still, obviously, it, it does drag on and it's still of a concern and, and it's something we still have to, uh, be mindful of. Uh, but you might re- remember at the beginning of this, it was it was an interesting time, and we didn't know much about it. We didn't know what was going on, uh, and and we really all teamed up. We worked together. We saw different levels of governments, whether it's municipal, provincial, federal, uh, different political stripes all working together. Remember when we used to go out on the on the front porch at seven o'clock and bang the pots and pans? And if we would have uh, one of these surveys back then, we would see that people were quite empath- uh, empathetic towards other Canadians and what everybody was going through. Has that changed? in a post-pandemic world. Let's bring in Sue Phipps, Chief Executive Officer at Canadian Mental Health Association, the Hamilton Branch, and is with us now. Sue, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am well, Scott. Thank you so much for having me back. 
Less empathy or more post-pandemic? Definitely less empathy. Feelings of empathy have eroded over the course of the pandemic. So not only are people experiencing pandemic fatigue, but they're also experiencing empathy fatigue. So only 13% of Canadians have reported feeling empathetic, which is down considerably from 23% in March 2020. So we've gone from banging pots and pans to giving each other the middle finger. Is that what's happening here, Sue? It does seem to be that way, yes. Why is this? Well, I think um, really people are tired, right? Their reserves are spent. They don't have the energy. And I think also people feel like when others are suffering, they need to have solutions. And actually, you know, when you're empathetic to someone, it, it actually means that you kind of reserve that judgment and don't bombard people with solutions and instead just listen to them. So I think, you know, people are feeling at a loss for words. They don't know what to do. And what they're not realizing is that in actuality, they just need to listen and people need to feel heard and respected. And that, that could really change, you know, the the difference between feeling disconnected from people to being connected again to people. I remember talking before the pandemic how it seems society has become more divisive. We've lost the ability to agree to disagree. We've lost the center. Either you're on the extreme this side or the extreme that side. And then the the pandemic seemed to ease all of that. What about our leadership and politicians and the divisiveness? How much does that contribute to this? Well, you know, I don't think I have the answer to that question, Scott, Um, but definitely, you know, there are a lot of mixed messages out there. You know, we have um, the medical world saying one thing, we have politicians saying another. It can get very, very confusing for people out there. And even just in terms of, you know, the different sort of algorithms you get sent through in your social media platforms and depending, you know, on what position you take, you might find yourself hearing a whole bunch of messaging, you know, that someone else close to you is not seeing right and they're seeing a whole other set of messages and so i think it's creating it's it is creating a divide you know even among family members so it's become Hmm. difficult to feel connected to one another as we slowly get out of this where is this going because it's not healthy that we're becoming less empathetic over time here yeah, so I think we need to bring awareness to this, right? I think we really have to understand what's going on and we have to realize that, you know, you, empathy is something, you know, that you can learn. It is a skill that can be developed and it is fundamental. How do you do that? How do you do that, Sue? How do you yeah. develop that? So so basically it's just like some really basic basic things like consider what you know about the person that you're talking to and be willing to learn more and open yourself up and be curious right and and not kind of jump to conclusions about why they're saying what they're saying or why they're behaving the way they're behaving and listen attentively without offering your perspective or your solutions and and resist the urge to interrupt and share your own experience or your own opinion and just focus on understanding how that person feels and why they feel that way and and take some time to reflect right because we know that you know this is actually going to help our own mental health if we can do this so really before you weigh in tune in is the mantra (laughs) wow there's listen that's great advice uh something i get criticized for not doing anyway i digress uh is saying chill out is that too is that oversimplification Definitely oversimplification. I think that's actually quite invalidating, right? Because when someone's feeling distressed, if you tell them to chill out, you're not listening, right? You're not showing not that, recognizing them. that you actually recognize, yeah, recognize that they're, they're in distress. And if you can just show a little bit of time and, and listen to them, you can help someone in distress calm down, right? So I do think some of those flippant statements can be kind of damaging and actually increase people's distress. Is empathy less hip now because we're out of this? Hmm, there's a good question. I don't know. Was it ever hip? I'm not sure, but uh, perhaps. Maybe it was perhaps. survival. Yeah, I think initially people, you know, when it was when when the pandemic was in the news all of the time and we were hearing people's experiences, you know, we had sort of no choice but to listen, right? Mm. But I do think now, yeah, people are tired um, of hearing these things and, and there's been, you know, so much on social media that's been conflicting. I do think, 
yeah, it's it's being it is harder to do this and maybe not as trendy. <laughs> Sue Phipps with us, Chief Executive Officer at the Canadian Mental Health Association, Hamilton Branch. Seems to be a decrease in empathy, but that's something we can fix. Thanks, Sue. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you so much, Scott. Take care. The European Union is sanctioning Russia uh, again. I think it's like the sixth time. This time, a big one. And in uh, saying this is it for the European Union, wanting them to move away from Russian energy, Russian oil, and uh, try to get their oil and their energy from uh, elsewhere. Let's bring in Eric Cam, professor of macroeconomics and with the Toronto Metropolitan University and is with us now. Eric, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am. I hope you are. And thank you for ushering me in with a little Lin-Manuel Miranda and Hamilton. That was great. Look at you go. And I mean, between that and the Star Wars stuff with Will at the top of the hour, uh, it's like you're totally plugged into everybody here, Eric. It's amazing. Well, quickly, uh, I, was, I, was, I was complaining to Will that I loved Star Wars. I saw it eight weeks in a row as a kid because that's all that was in the theater. And the thing that bumped it, bumped it from, the, from the number one movie of all time was that horrific Titanic which my biggest complaint is, when's the sequel? There's got to be a sequel, and I've got the title. Ready? Titanic 2, where the potty at? There you go. All right. It takes place. Uh, never mind. This will get ugly. All right. Um, uh, banning Russian oil, the European Union talking about Russian oil, banning Russian oil. What does this mean? How significant is this? It's very significant if it actually works. And I hmm. preface that by saying, Nothing has worked yet. I mean, it's actually really fascinating, Scott. The EU gets about 25% of its oil from Russia, about 14% of its diesel from Russia, and 40% of its natural gas from Russia. I mean, it does not take a mathematician to realize that they really rely on Russia for these things. And what, there's, what, what Russia is saying is that a cutoff, if you cut us off, then these already high prices you're paying are only going to become even higher. So what they're really you're seeing now is a game of chicken. Nothing more, nothing less. You have nations going, we're not going to buy from you. And you have Russia going, well, all right. But then guess what? You're not going to have oil, diesel or natural gas. And when you do come crawling back, which is what's going to happen, you're going to pay more money for it. And just as an example, uh, Hungary and Slovakia, they said we're out. We, we just cannot afford to leave our populations hanging. So as much as they probably don't like what's going on with Russia, they know they're too indebted, and they said, we're out. We just cannot join you on this embargo. And does this really affect Russia when it seems that China will just buy anything that the rest of the world won't anyway? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, it's a really fascinating time, and it's, it's, it's especially fascinating for those of us who have any connection to Russia. My grandparents are from Russia, so I keep an eye on what's going on there. And again, I don't like what's going on. Nobody likes what's going on. But if you noticed, for lack of a better term, that Russia is kind of hashtag winning. I mean, they really tried to throw everything they can at Russia, and Russia just keeps bouncing back, including, let's take a look at their currency. Uh, all of a sudden, the country said, you know what, we're not going to pay for your goods in your currency. And the ruble took a 30% hit. Guess what? It's back to a level in excess of where it was when that started. Because, you know, there's nothing like desperation to cure what ills an economy. And right now, people need their gas and their oil and their natural gas and their diesel. And Russia is still the best place to get it. And to your point, that's right. It'd be one thing if there was no substitutes. But guess what? There is. And so people may hate Russia and what they're doing right now. But if you're a neutral observer, uh, sadly, it's Russia one, EU nothing. So where does the EU propose to get the energy or the gas from if they're not getting it from Russia? Well, they're kind of out and banging on a lot of doors. There are a lot of places, including Canada, including India, including China, that may or may not be willing to sell them natural gas or diesel. I mean, it's really a question of do countries want to play ball? But again, it, it, you know, I, I hate to use this expression, uh, especially at, at, a, at a, working at a university, but it's who do you want to get into bed with? Who do you want to who do you want to partner with? I mean, if you're going to partner with countries that are friends of Russia, well, then, you know, maybe it won't come back to bite you. But if you're going to go out and take Russia's enemies, their real enemies and buy your oil from them. Well, again, nothing lasts forever. 
Wars don't last forever. And these standoffs don't last forever. And one day you may want to take your country back to Russia and say, remember when we used to buy our oil from you? And Russia has one of two answers. Maybe yes, maybe no. And if it's yes, at what price? So again, I don't like to sound too negative, but they have thrown the kitchen sink at Russia. And Russia is still standing, to quote Elton John. And I think that that's systematic of the problem. Couldn't you say that Russia's thrown everything it has at Ukraine and it's still standing? Absolutely. Oh, there's that. Absolutely. And if you're mm. asking me, you know, my who am I cheering for? Is no, I understand not, your point. You know, is, yeah, any, I, is anybody not hoping that this has a quick resolution and more lives aren't lost and the Ukrainian people can go back to their lives? Sure. But I know that you brought me on to talk about economics and I respect that. So <laughs> unfortunately, cool. you know, in an economic sense, in a dollar's sense, cost benefit analysis right now russia is looking pretty good and remember when the world said we will not buy your goods in rubles guess what they are and so now simultaneously you're buying their goods and you're propping up their currency thank you rest of the world so uh quick uh, we only got about 30 seconds left here eric can canada help do we have the capacity to help no not really We are a very small country. They call us a small open economy. We are a small economy in a very large geographic country. I mean, there are things we could do, uh, but you know what? We don't have that kind of power because we never bought that many goods from Russia anyway. I mean, I think we're 17th or 18th on the list of their dance partners. So unfortunately in Canada, strap in, it's gonna be a bumpy ride. But if you think Canada, has a shot at taking down the Russian economy. You're sadly mistaken, and I apologize. Eric Ham, Professor of Economics, Toronto Metropolitan University, uh, European Union, now saying, that's it, we're not buying any more Russian gas. Does that matter? Can they do it? Eric, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. It's a privilege. Stay healthy. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Ontario in the uh, election campaign, full throttle. All leaders are uh, around doing the hustings and and, uh, and selling their wares and such. And on a campaign trail today, we know the story about uh, the U- the U.S. and Roe versus Wade and, and the reign- reignition of the abortion issue down there, taking giant steps backwards for some reason. Uh, but obviously that has made it up north of the border. And surfaced on the campaign trail in Ontario today. Doug Ford asked about abortion rights and access, said things are going to stay the same, nothing's going to change there. We're hearing the same thing uh, on the federal level from MPs as well. However, it's still every every time there's an election or whatever, it seems to become an election issue here again. To talk more about the campaign trail and what is going on, Colin DeMello with us, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News. He is with us now. Colin, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I'm doing quite well, thank you. Good afternoon. Are you surprised to see this coming up uh, north of the border into Ontario and perhaps a piece of the Ontario election campaign? Well, you know, things in campaign season is uh, are, can often be unpredictable, right? You take a look at the federal election campaign as an example. It had just started and, you know, uh, Afghanistan had fallen to the Taliban and that became a campaign issue. So a lot of times you can't really predict exactly what's going to influence the campaign. Certainly with, uh, you know, access to abortion, that wasn't one that we thought would have been a natural uh, campaign issue. It right now isn't necessarily a huge campaign issue, but something of a conversation during the campaign. Largely, the reason this came up was because after you know the draft decision of from the U.S. Supreme Court, there was a story on uh, our Global News website that started to really pick up traction again, and that had to do with um, uh, an MPP in the Ontario Progressive Conservative Caucus, Sam Osterhoff from the Niagara area, mm-hmm. who had attended an anti-abortion rally in 2019 and had vowed at that rally to make on abortion unthinkable in our lifetimes. And at that point, it had ignited quite a bit of controversy in the Ontario legislature. The premier was asked to answer for it because it really raised a lot of questions, right? If the progressive conservative caucus is going to tolerate these kinds of views inside its party, well, what does that mean when it comes to the actual influence on the decisions that the party makes? And so that question has really come up once again uh, for the Ontario progressive conservatives. So do the Conservatives need to address that again, or have they addressed that when this happened back in 2019? Well, they addressed it back in 2019, and they addressed it again today, although I will say today it's addressed in kind of a a half measure. So in 2019, the Premier was unequivocal. He said, listen, 
we are not going to touch abortion laws or access to abortion in Ontario. He said, period, that was it. He'd also said back then, though, that the Ontario PC party is a pretty big tent and they are pretty tolerant of a lot of views that are diverse and they don't necessarily kick people out of their party just for their views. You know, basically drawing the distinction between uh, somebody having views and the government acting on those views. Today, though, I wanted to kind of bring this issue up with the premier once again. So I asked him again if his statements from 2019 are still valid. And he said, yes, we are not going to touch access to abortion here in Ontario. But I, I had a follow-up question for him in terms of, you know, the, the Ontario PC party is a big tent, but where does he draw the line, right? At what point does he say, okay, well, maybe if we're a party that's not going to act on abortion, maybe we don't want to necessarily court people who hold the views that are um, anti-abortion. Uh, the, the premier didn't answer the question. He sidestepped it. And so that kind of is a bit of a question mark still right now. So are Ontarians concerned that even though the party has said we're not interested in opening this kettle of fish, um, it's still a concern that there's like an, a Sam Oosteroff somewhere that, that, that has a different view? Well, I mean, it depends on whether you think uh, political parties necessarily all, always speak on behalf of people. Sometimes they do. Sometimes it's politics. Um, you, you know, I, I think you got to take the premier not only at his words, but his actions, right? If the premier was asked about this and he, he unequivocally stated, listen, I have no interest in limiting people's access to abortion and hasn't really made any moves in that regard, um, I, I think it's, you know, pretty safe to say that when they were in power, they didn't take any action regarding abortion, that they might not necessarily take that action now. I mean, remember, um, the premier during his uh, leadership campaign back in 2018, he did court the support of social conservatives who often, you know, hold a more traditional view of a lot of things, including marriage and, um, you know, are, are traditionally pro-life. But after the premier started governing, he started to distance himself from those social conservatives, right? Didn't really bring them into his inner circle. And most recently, uh, late last year, he and Charles McVitie, a very noted social conservative uh, conservative in Ontario, um, kind of broke ties. So uh, Charles McVitie is almost campaigning against Premier Doug Ford. And so, you know, it doesn't really seem like the Premier wants to act on on those um and neither as premier or as conservative leader um either way so they may tolerate the views but acting on the views is a completely different thing do you think this has uh legs during the election campaign colin i i certainly think the other parties might try to paint uh doug ford and the progressive conservatives as being tolerant of those views Right. It I just mean, seems you know, that, Colin, every election we keep hearing about this. Like, I mean, you know, I'm old enough to know, you know, remember hearing this from the 70s. Uh, like, you know, every time there's an election campaign, the conservatives, it's abortion, 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 no matter where the issue is. And now it's come up again because of the situation in the U.S., which is completely understandable. But, you know, will it go any farther than that? No, I, I mean, I, I really don't see it going too much farther than that. This might just be a one day story because Doug Ford has effectively shut it down. Right. Like. If, if he had left some ambiguity there or had left some nuance, maybe then we would have asked him the question again tomorrow to kind of get some clarity. But he was very quick uh, and very swift in shutting it down. Um, so, you know, the liberals and the NDP might try to raise this issue up for a couple of days. But if they don't see a lot of traction with the media, uh, then they might not go forward with it. I mean, listen, every single party is trying to tag the other party with something, right? Like, you know, the, the conservatives are going to call the NDP, uh, you know, t uh, tax and spend uh, type of party. They're going to tag uh, Stephen Del Duca as being, you know, wi Kathleen Wynne's right hand man. They're all going to do all of these things because they're looking to you know, wedge the other parties, gain a little bit of support um, and, and help the other parties lose support. But ultimately, if it doesn't really catch fire with the population and galvanize them, there really is very little for us to do in terms of pursuing it as a full story. On the campaign trail, Colin DeMello with us, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News. Make sure you're watching Global Tonight for more on all of this. Colin, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. My pleasure. Thanks. 
Todd Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer. He'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Lots of chatter as the campaigns do get underway, although there's been, the promises have been coming out as hot and heavy for the last uh, few weeks now. And as well, a, a bullet of an announcement out of the United States with the leaked document from the Supreme Court about them uh, perhaps re- uh, reversing, it looks like, reversing their decision on Roe versus Wade. Does that have any effect up here? Let's bring in Peter Gray, professor of political science at McMaster University. He's with us now. Peter, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am. Thanks. Uh, let's first start with a U.S. issue about uh, the abortion. We know where that's gone in, you know, as they take a giant leap backwards. Uh, it seems that every election campaign that also comes up here uh, and we have the same discussion. Is it going to have an impact here uh, on politics or been there, done that, uh, move on? Well, I mean, I don't think it will have a huge impact. I'm, I'm sure Justin Trudeau will fundraise off of it as in the past. Uh, I mean, we do have, you know, the issue in Canada is much more about uh, access. And so maybe we will move to a bit of a, a, a debate about that, about, you know, a number of uh, rural areas and so on where access is more difficult. Although, you know, with uh, new medications uh, and changes in professional practice, it's not exactly as it looked like 10 years ago. So maybe we'll be having that discussion in Canada. But I think for the most part, uh, you know, what we'll see is the Liberal Party use it as a wedge issue against the Conservatives. Uh, but I'm not sure if Canadians are that keen to to continue to see it be used that way when, again, when, you know, other issues around uh, access and so on are still important here in Canada. All right. Obviously, the Ontario election campaign is underway. We're seeing uh, early polling saying that uh, the PCs are out in front. The the fight really seems to be between the Liberals or sorry, the Liberals and the NDP for second. Uh, is this Doug Ford's election to lose? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, you know, we've seen in in past uh, provincial elections that the polling on day one uh, often doesn't look a whole lot like the you know mm. the the final result four weeks later, because I don't think Ontarians follow their politics too closely. But yeah, I mean, I think you know Doug Ford is working with pretty uh, narrow margins at the moment. I mean, the polls have him kind of in the mid to upper thirties, which is minority to majority government range. But you know, you you go a couple of points lower, and suddenly. Uh, you know, what do we see? Maybe one of the other parties holding holding uh, power. So, yeah, I mean, I think it is Doug Ford's election to lose. He's got uh, a good position at the moment in the suburbs of Toronto, you know, which he needs uh, to win this election. Um, but again, that may be fairly soft support as people haven't really thought about, well, who do we want to lead the province coming out of the pandemic? Uh, what about the fight for second? Uh, were you, I'm even noticing that news releases that obviously we all get sent from all the various parties that uh, the, the NDP seem to be attacking the Liberals as much as the progressive Conservatives. Or I guess that's, well, I'll leave it for you to offer your opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen in recent both provincial and federal elections that the first few weeks of the campaign are about, uh, you know, I you might call it the progressive primary, but which is going to be the the party that takes on the Conservatives. Um, you know, last time, you know, we saw that as, as an Andrea Horvath ultimately won against Kathleen Wynne the time before uh, Kathleen Wynne really ate uh, Andrea Horvath's lunch. So, again, I think uh, those two parties are positioning themselves to be the one best place to, to defeat uh, the Conservatives. And so I think we do see the NDP attacking the Liberals. And we, I think the Liberals' announcement of a buck-a-ride transit was, again, trying to put forward a really uh, bold or imaginative policy that would capture people's attention and, again, try to you know, uh, leapfrog the, the Liberals over, over the NDP. I mean, it's a funny situation where geographically at the moment you've got the NDP strong in southwest Ontario, the north, and the Niagara Peninsula, and the Liberals uh, stronger in the, the uh, 905 and uh, uh, downtown Toronto. Uh, you know, so ultimately, those parties, if they had come to some sort of agreement ahead of the election, might have been in a better position uh, to be fighting the Conservatives at this stage. It seems over time, and this is provincially, that the NDP do well when people are upset with the Liberals, Liberals, and they're looking for a, another option. Is that the case now? Does, can that 
momentum continue through this election? Obviously, Del Duca not as well known other than being in, in Wynn's past government. But um, is that still is that still the situation where um, people are going to give the NDP uh, the vote just to defy the liberals? Or will people find more confidence in the liberals this time? Well, I mean, I think certainly the task is harder for the NDP this time than last, where there was, I mean, even among Liberal supporters, not much support for uh, Kathleen Wynne and and that government. So uh, this time it is more uh, complicated. I think Andrea Horvath is going to be working hard to paint Stephen Del Duca as someone who is really just, you know, in with Wynne and someone who isn't known and can't be trusted. But, uh, you know, it will be, I think, a more difficult task to, you know, convince voters who who may be uh, you know liberal identifying that no, that was the time to vote for the NDP uh, to block the road uh, to afford re-election. So I mean that's the challenge, and I think that's what we'll really see in the next two weeks, two and a half weeks, is a struggle between those two parties. Because I mean, similarly from the point of view of the Liberals, if they're going to be winning seats in the 905, they have to push down the NDP vote, uh, you know, and and pull those votes from the NDP and in, in, into their own party if they hope to win seats, you know, in, in the outer regions uh, of the GTA or even the sort of inner suburbs of, you know, Mississauga. So, uh, yeah, we'll be pretty, uh, I think, brutal between those parties in, in the coming weeks. What's the biggest challenge for both the NDP and the Liberal leaders? Uh, obviously, Del Duca not as well known. Horbath certainly is. How do they bring that forward? Well, I mean, I think uh, for Andrea Horvath, she has to shake the idea that she's, you know, done this four times before and hasn't managed. So why why will she win this time? So I think to make herself appear like someone who's uh, winning uh, or winnable will be a, a key challenge, as will be finding a way to reach the suburbs of Toronto, where, you know, the NDP had some success in Brampton, has some success out in Scarborough, but sort of the big swaths of the outer suburbs, uh, there's there's really not a very strong NDP presence. So finding uh, the message to sell there will be key. I think for Stephen Del Duca, on the one hand, it's to get known. I don't think he's known by Ontarians. And when they know him, mm. will they love him? <laughs> so that's the other part. Is he, <laughs> is he going to be able to present an image of himself uh, as a, someone with a plan that speaks to people's concern, um, you know, that will allow him to uh, to win. I mean, the, you know, Ontarians maybe like boring leaders or have the past, but, you know, he's really going to, I think, test that in terms of how he's presented himself to date. So, again, to get hmm. himself known and then uh, to be seen as someone to be trusted, because ultimately he presents a Liberal Party that looks a lot more like uh, Dalton McGuinty than Kathleen Wynne. And, uh, you know, are, are Ontarians, you know, looking for the Dalton McGuinty Liberal Party uh, or not? Uh, you know, again, that will be a challenge for, for Stephen Del Duca. The games have begun. Peter Graff with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. Peter, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You're welcome. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right, uh, let's bring in Randall Denley, author and columnist for the Ottawa Citizen and the National Post. His latest, what the three Ontario leaders need to do to win the election and save their own jobs. Randall is with us now. Randall, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am, Scott. So I want to ask you first, before we get into the provincial leadership, uh, or the, sorry, the provi- uh, provincial election campaign, obviously lots of commotion coming out of the United States regarding Roe versus Wade and them taking a giant step backwards uh, and where that is all going to lead. Obviously, that story coming across the border, is that going to make its way into Canadian, whether it's provincial or federal politics again? It seems every election this comes up, there's the fear mongering, and then nothing changes and it goes back away. Is this going to be an issue again up here? Oh, I think liberals would like it to be an issue because they're on the popular side of it. I, I don't see conservatives taking the bait on this. I mean, we're in a totally different place uh, from the Americans, and really what they do has no impact on what we do here. No political party in this country is ever going to take away the right to an abortion. It's just not going to happen. Suicide. So Why do we keep trying? Starter, but it, it shows in a way what a an echo of a country we are that, oh, it's happening there. Could it happen here? I don't know. You know why would it happen here? There's nothing. We, we've just let the issue go. You know, it's not that we have a law. We don't. We just, like, just people do what we want. 
It's kind of like having a mandatory uh, vaccination mandate when you've got over 90% of the people vaccinated. Is it needed? Uh, anyway, I move on, and I don't mean to compare the two. They're certainly not the same by any means. All right, uh, let's talk about the Ontario campaign. Uh, Doug Ford slow, uh, coming back into the lead or is in the lead and, and, and breaking away. The fight seems to be for second between the NDP and the Libs. What does Doug Ford have to do to keep this? Is it his election to lose? Yeah, I hate that phrase of his to lose because it kind of suggests that he will, but I think it's, I think it's his to win, and yeah. I think he's going to win it because he's in a very solid position. Going in, it's an ideal position for PCs. He does have a, enough of a lead in the polls, assuming nothing goes wrong, that he can certainly win a minority, if not a majority. Um, the question is, is one of the other two parties going to break out? Some of the polls show the Liberals coming up uh, in, the P- in the NDP going down. I don't know whether that's true or not at this point or what it's based on, because the, the same polls will show that most people either don't know much about or don't have a great opinion of Stephen Del Duca, the liberal leader. So sometimes when people don't know your leader, it's actually positive in politics, because once they get to know him, they go, oh, okay. But uh, it's generally seen as a, a race for second, and I think that's probably what it will be, because to me, the conservative platform speaks to a lot of basic things the government does, and it's kind of old-fashioned. We're going to build stuff. We're going to focus on jobs, focus on the economy, focus on health care. And they, they kind of frame their health care policy as a preparing for another pandemic, which is one way into it. But, you know, traditionally health care was not an issue that conservatives wanted to go after. That, that, that's a liberal issue. You know, you're not going to win an election on health care. It's a liberal issue. Leave that alone. Talk about other things. But it's one of the five key points that they put out mm. in, in summarizing their their get-it-done plan. I thought that was a good phrase, too. Like, get it done, that's kind of the Doug Ford approach, to. And it seems to be more, they seem to be more kitchen table issues than stuff, you know, it seems to be stuff that people are talking about. How does Stephen Del Duca differ himself from Dalton McGindy and and Kathleen Wynne? How does he break away from the 15 years of liberal rule? Yeah, it's pretty hard to do that, because, you know, today, for example, he was saying, uh, Hey, I, I won't build a big highway. I'll uh, spend $10 billion on fixing up schools. There's already billions of dollars in the budget for that, but he'll spend another 10 on top of that. And, you know, it took about 30 seconds, I think, for Andrew Horvath to say, well, Mr. Duca, why are the schools in such poor condition? Because your party was in power for 15 years, and you let them crumble. Which is true, and people know it's true. So that's anything that he's going to fix or in many cases, is something that his party broke over a 15-year period or failed to address. So it does leave him in kind of a tough spot, and I think he comes up with some kind of odd policies. Yeah, again, I'm not sure the real... The NDP. Yeah, I'm not sure the real kitchen table issue. It's like the $1 a day transit, which anybody who takes transit, that's a great deal, but what is, you know, I don't think the cost of transit is the major issue here. The cost of transit, tra- the, the issue with transit is it's not working for people for whatever reason, so... Yeah, it doesn't um, take them where they want to go. There isn't enough, there isn't enough capacity, I don't think, for the kind of transit surge he imagines, but the, the thing that that ignores, I think is most important, is that so many people work from home now. And they're going to keep working from home. You know, you don't need to take transit. You're not going anywhere. People sometimes think, well, transit is good. You should ride it. Like, well, I would only ride it if I needed to go from A to B. If I'm not going from A to B, I'm not riding it. So it, that struck me as a, a gimmicky thing that was still cost $1.8 billion. It doesn't strike me as a brilliant expenditure of money. Is it really going to get more people riding transit? And it's a time-limited thing anyway. It's kind of, a, I guess, a shot in the arm for transit. But he's trying to come up with things that are different, and they've got to be different from the NDP because there's so much similarity, really, between the two parties, at least in people's minds. How does he seem different and better than the NDP? And he's starting out in an awful hole with seven seats, too. It's very difficult to run a campaign with that many rookie candidates, especially re- when he has no platform. He's been pounding up policy in the last few days, but if I, God forbid, were a liberal candidate knocking on doors right now, people say, well, your party gets elected, what are you going to do? Well, I'd have a little bits and pieces of stuff to talk about, but I wouldn't be able to talk about our plan overall. I mean, we're in the election. 
when are we going to see it? I just that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, you were talking about you know, the, the PCs. It's all about building. I remember, Dal- and I think we've talked about this, Dalton McGinty saying a long time ago, we're not interested in building any more roads, and it seems that Del Duca is following that same path, uh, and we know where that got us because we didn't see a lot of transit either. Has a COVID-19 pandemic changed our priorities? Can you sell the same things you did in an election before the pandemic? Well, I think roads are needed. I mean, we haven't kept mm-hmm. up with the pace in Ontario, what's needed with the Incredible expansion and the the GTA and the Greater Golden Horseshoe. It, they just haven't built the highways to meet present and future demand, and that's just a basic thing that you have to do. But there are there's certainly a group of people, and the Liberals feature in the group and say, "Look, the cars are bad, so mm-hmm. we don't want to build roads. Then there'll be fewer cars. <laughs> Anything that would discourage cars and driving is good." So instead, what you get is well, we don't we don't build adequate roads, so then people sit for hours in cars, wasting commuting time, while emissions float up in the air. And it's not like there's some you know brilliant parallel transit system that everybody's going to take, because you know I mean as you you know when you're part of the province, it's sprawled out over such a vast area. It's extremely difficult to serve with transit. I'm sure Ford will remind people at some point, though, that he likes to talk about highways, but he plans to spend six times as much on transit hmm. as he does on highways. So highways are kind of his his lane, as it were, but really where the money's going, it's big transit. time is going to transit. So he, he's, uh, not, he's certainly not weak on the transit point. Only got about 30 seconds left here, uh, Randall. Uh, what, uh, what does Andrea Horvath have to do to prove that she her party's worthy more of uh, than the Liberals' second vote? When people aren't happy with the Liberals, they'll vote NDP. How, how does she break that? I don't think she can. This is her fourth time. Last time was the time she should have won, if she was ever going to. Total collapse of the Liberals on the left. Yeah. She took advantage of it to a degree, but she didn't get elected. I just, I think she's going to come third, most likely, because people are tired of her. She's been around forever. She says the same things every election, and she doesn't win. So I don't see how that's going to change. Randall Denley with us, author and columnist, Ottawa Citizen and the National Post. His latest, what the three Ontario leaders need to do to win the election and save their own jobs. Randall, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Yep, my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Scott Radley Show coming up after 6 o'clock. He's here with a sneak peek, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, how are you? I hope you're well. I could not be better. How are you? Uh, upright and retaining fluids, which is all you can ask for uh, in the middle of the week. Start. That is a good start. Dolly Parton in the Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Initially, she said, no, uh, I don't want to take the position away from somebody else. And then eventually uh, she decides that it's worth it because, you know, I mean, Johnny Cash is there, Hank Williams. There's a whole pile of country stars in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because country, black rhythm and blues gives you rock and roll. Uh, Is this an overreach? I'm thinking if Eminem's in, why can't Dolly be in? Look, it's it's for that reason. It's not an overreach. It's it's way past time to change the name of this thing. It's not the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's it's Popular Music Hall of Fame. All right. On that and note, I was talking. If you do that, then fine. But as this, no, there's a whole bunch of people in this that do not qualify as rock and roll stars, and Dolly Parton is very much among them. Great All as right. she is. So we were talking to Alan Cross, music aficionado, uh, ongoing history of new music. Yeah. I love talking to this guy. You can talk him for talk to him forever, and I and he's you know he he he's not happy with it. But my my suggestion to him was since rock music, rock and roll has changed so much since the inception in the early and mid fifties, should there not be a rock and roll Hall of Fame, and then in it an R and B wing, in it a rap wing, in it a country music wing, and and bringing all of these genres together. And Alan's paused for a sec, and he said that was a brilliant idea. I don't disagree with that. And, and again, I don't think that there has ever been a person alive, going back to Dolly Parton for a sec before we move to that answer, I don't think there's ever been a person who has ever walked the face of the earth who's listened to Dolly Parton and said, my, I love that rock and roll music. It's never happened. And so... Music, the problem is with your idea, while I generally like it, is that, like, there are, even if you do that, and I think it makes a lot of sense, there are people who you still don't know where to put because they've got a crossover between this and that or this and that. And so, um, that's an easy issue to fix, though. 
Well, you then can pick one. Look, if you go into Cooperstown, if you're a baseball player and you go into Cooperstown and you have played for more than one team on your plaque, you, there's a picture of you, a carving, wearing a hat, a baseball cap, and you pick which one of the teams the hat you want to wear when you go mm-hmm. in. So what you do then is you say to the person, what wing are you in? And you let them decide, and then it's super easy. And then, you know, and so and so. So now, you know, you talk to Taylor Swift if she ever goes in. Then you say, are you country or are you pop? Where, where, tell me where you want to be, what wing you want to be. And she goes, well, I, I would say they would. I would say they would get a representation in both. How one, if you want to take Taylor Swift, how that affected her pop music career. That would be covered in the main pop hall, whatever. And then uh, her country roots would be covered in the, the, other, uh, the other category, the other wing of the hall. It's sort of like the Grammys have different categories. The hall could have different wings. So I don't know... Um I don't know. Is there such a thing? There is a country music hall of fame. I know that. Yeah. Is, there a hit, mm-hmm. is there a hip-hop hall of fame? Don't think so. I don't Could know. But when, when that happens, and it will at some point, someone will do that. When that happens, does, um, does Led Zeppelin get into the hip-hop hall of fame? I would say probably never in a million years. Even yeah, but just because it works say, with one, just because it works with one person in in one genre, it doesn't mean it has to work for all of them. There's clearly people that have made an impact on both. That's why they're that's, in. But sure, they have. Sure, they have. If you, you could, whether it's by by choosing sampling for for different songs or whatever else. My point simply is this: I, I hate the name now, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And if you if you change the name just to the Popular Music Hall of Fame. You eliminate all this discussion, and then Dolly Parton goes in, and you go, yeah, absolutely, she should be in the Popular Music Hall of Fame, and Johnny Cash, and Run DMC, and Kiss, and, and pick your pick whoever you like. They then we start going it. back. Do we start going back then? Well, we got to get Frank Sinatra. We got to get Dean Why Martin. Well, because that's Frank- a po- that's before the rock and roll era. Well, uh, well, Frank Sinatra was still around when rock and roll was happening, and, and certainly he was. Put singing some songs in his own versions of some of the popular hits. Of the he did a mean version of Bad Bad Leroy Brown. There you go, Jim Croce. <laughs> Is Jim Croce in? I don't know, but like again, the, these are the things you would not have in the Hockey Hall of Fame. You wouldn't have someone who plays field hockey. Why not? It's hockey because we say, well, this is the, the Ice Hockey Hall of Fame. But it's not called the Ice Hockey Hall of Fame. It's not called the Floorball Hockey Hall of Fame. It's if it was in any other country than Canada, it would be. I believe that based on my track record as a child with the amount of hours I played road hockey and the amount of times I took one of those frozen tennis balls in the pills playing net, I should get an honorary induction into the Hockey Hall of Fame. I'm, I'm, I probably still have bruises on parts of my legs that I can't see from stopping those frozen tennis balls with no fuzz on them by the end of the winter as does probably everyone else listening we all should get into the hockey hall of fame just for our sacrifice maybe there should be a road hockey wing in the hockey really? hall of fame that's <laughs> right. i don't know who votes on that i don't yeah. know who inducted it maybe you just like, anybody hey, in the beer league anybody in the beer league gets to vote well i know you got to run but you know that the cfl built that thing that the great cup sits on a couple of years ago and you yeah. can buy that just do that you can buy your way into the road hockey hall of fame you get your plaque and you give them 500 bucks There you go. Scott Radley Show coming up next after the 6 o'clock news. You can also read them in your Hamilton Spectator. As always, Scott, thanks for the time. Be well. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the ring.